Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. What's happening, football fans? Welcome to a special edition of the Gagan Pod. I'm joined by Thomas Sorensen and Mark Schwarzer as we dissect the big political decisions made by UEFA and FIFA in the last week. We look back at the Carabao Cup final. What a nil-nil draw it was. And changing your goalkeeper for a penalty shootout turns out to be a terrible decision. Marcelo Eloco Bielsa leaves Leeds. Who's the craziest manager the boys have ever had? Are Brentford next to sack their manager? And we look forward to the biggest games coming up this week from Premier League and all around Europe. What a week it'll be. What's happening, football fans? Welcome to the Gagan Pod. I'm joined by the two safest hands at Optus Sport. We've got former Premier League goalkeepers Thomas Sorensen and Mark Schwarzer as we try to dissect the whole world of football. And there's so much coming up. We go from Carabao Cup to title races all around Europe and, of course, manager sackings as well. But before we get to all that, I wanted to actually touch on just... The world is a very different place to what it was seven days ago. I guess when we spoke last time on the Gagan Pod, you could have never fathomed what's happened in the world. And uh, we're watching it very closely. For everyone here at Optus Sport, our hearts go out to all those people involved in the warfare and the conflict over there and all their families and friends who may be here in Australia listening to the podcast. I guess we're all refreshing the news day in, day out, hoping that there's some sort of ceasefire, some sort of negotiations that are successful. Um, but why we speak about it today on the podcast is not so much to dive into the conflict. Of course, we're nowhere near experts in that matter. But when you look at the history books and you see any big political decisions, any any big warfare conflict, football is always not too far behind. And I think it's just because it is the biggest sport in the world and it is not only so entertaining, but it is also a tool for people to get messages across and for people to force change in the world. And so the football world has reacted to what's been going on in the last seven days. And it, it, I guess it began with players like Robert Lewandowski coming out, speaking against the, that they didn't want to play against Russia in the World Cup qualifiers. And we saw UEFA move the Champions League final away. Some big decisions have happened, gentlemen. I want to get your opinions on it. UEFA moved pretty quickly and they've banned Russian teams from their competitions. So Spartak Moscow will no longer play in the Europa League. And then FIFA, who originally were going to allow Russia to play under a different banner and without a national anthem, have backflipped this morning. And the breaking news is that Russia will not compete in the World Cup qualifiers and their women will not compete at the Euros in the middle of the year. Mark Schwarzer, I'll start with you. You're on the ground over there in Europe. What's the reaction been? Firstly, to that initial Infantino decision, because there was huge backlash here in Australia. Was it the same over there in the UK? Yeah, enormous um, disbelief, actually, that that uh, FIFA would allow Russia still to participate um, at that stage. Um, and there was just complete disbelief that we know, you know, the, the banner is always about sport and politics don't mix. But we all know it's intertwined. We know that we know that it doesn't work without the other one doesn't work without the other. So it's absolute rubbish that that doesn't exist. So I think when, when we see what's happening around the world, and like you mentioned earlier on the top of the show, um, thoughts and, and heart go out to all the people of the Ukraine and it's absolutely uh, atrocious what's happening um, and the invasion has to stop uh, as quickly as possible um, so let's hope that happens really quickly so for me it was a no-brainer FIFA should have been stronger right from the off as with UEFA because I thought UEFA were also dragging their heels uh, and also the IOC 
Um, so finally they've seen the light, finally they've woken up, and finally they've seen and felt what people around the world, pretty much everyone around the world feels and, and should have been done right from the off. Tommy, when we look at these decisions, I guess is... is to, to play a little bit of devil's advocate, not quite, but when, when you're looking at it, you know, they're not quite punishing the players, right? It's important to, to kind of realise they're not necessarily punishing the players. Is the is the importance of this decision to to try and, as the whole world are placing sanctions and I guess trying to punish economically, is that is that really the what's at the centre of this issue? It's not so much punishing Russian players who may have nothing to do with the conflict and what's going on, or is it also to protect their fans and their players from attending a tournament and... and who knows what would happen then? What is the real reasoning behind these decisions? Do you think? You know, I think the uh, you know the, the bottom line is it's an attack against you know our way of life, and and obviously that ultimately leads down to to, to our way of, of playing football. Um, you know the. The, the democracy of, of how we're doing things and and you know FIFA is a you know a democratic organization <laughs> you know so you know these things you know have to be dealt with and it, it's the the unity um, I think it, it's it's the great thing that the, the whole world as you said some people some nations some organizations have dragged their feet but have finally seen the light um, but the collateral damage is, is obviously the players you know we, we've both been in political situations uh, where things have, have, you know, I know the, the Danish team have been dragged into everything that's happening in, in Qatar and they'd have to, to take a stand on, on that issue. Um, so, 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 and sometimes you feel a little bit, you know, you just want to play, you know, that's your career, that's your big goals is to go to the World Cup. And that's taken away from, from these Russian players who, who don't really have a say in what Putin does. So I feel for them, but it's a decision that, that has to be made, uh, sadly, and, uh, you know, for the greater good of, of all of us. Schulte, initially, the Gianni Infantino announced that they were going to play under a different banner and with the, you know, without the anthem, without the flag, things like that. Similar to what we saw at the Olympics in Tokyo. Um, you know, doping and, and performance-enhancing drugs is very different to full-scale warfare. Uh, do you think that would have been an absolute catastrophe if they did play? Yep, I do. Okay. So... Um, you're right. They are very two different, very very different things, and we and we can't compare the two one bit. I mean, I think I think the world was completely against how the IOC dealt with the Russian um, team regarding doping, first and foremost, and that in itself, I believe, was a joke to allow them to continue. Um, so, but we're not comparing the two. So, what's happening now is completely different, and therefore. The annoying thing, I mean, listen, at the end of the day, the, res the end result is the right one, right? So ultimately, we, we, I suppose we can talk about it all day of how we got there. The main thing is they got there. And even, even if it's a couple of days late, so be it, right? They got there in the end. They saw it and they realized um, also with regards to sponsorships, um, associations with, with companies that are, are obviously related to the, the government in Russia. And, you know, I, I do feel, I feel very much for the players. Um, the women's team for the Euros and the men's team for the World Cup, the the teams in the European competitions. Um, I feel for the sporting players, the tennis players around the world. I feel for all the Russian players, the ones that are doing the right thing, the ones that are just trying to play their sport and do the best they possibly can and represent their country. I feel for those. I feel for the average Russian individual who has no say in this. And you see the persecution that's going on in Russia right now. For anybody who shows any disagreement with what's happening, um, it's appalling. Um, 
but it is what it is and and unfortunately the measures that have been taken i I think are a necessity Mm. we'll be watching it very closely i think i mean this is something we hope will end soon and then from there where do we go thomas Gianni Infantino has actually been awarded the Order of Friendship in the past from the Russian government. And it's quite, he's, he's never been too private, his friendship with Vladimir Putin since the 2018 World Cup and putting that all together. Do you think his position as head of FIFA is potentially at stake with all, you know, a, a very controversial World Cup coming up later this year, as you mentioned, the Danish team has spoken out about that. Plus all this happening now, is, is he under threat and his leadership position? Uh, you know, I, I think it's important now that he takes a stand. And I, and I think... You know that's what's been realised um, at the uh, you know the, the FIFA Council that, uh, that that you know they had to take a, a certain direction. You know, again, I, I still remember those uh, pictures of, of uh, Infantino sitting in the box with with Putin uh, at the opening game of of the World Cup. You know, and it's not a great look. You know, and and you can see now it's not just him, but everyone who's who's ever shaken hands with Putin. All those pictures are coming up to haunt them now. Um, you know, so so he has to distance himself, and and you, FIFA and UEFA they 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 have to because you know that you know it, it's just the way uh, it's moved on, and then you know we'll see what happens in the future. But but as as it stands, the pressure is is on him to show a clear direction, and thankfully they they've showed some sort of uh, um, you know reaction this morning. Mark, we talk about people that have been seen, photos have come up with Vladimir Putin and I guess very close to home over there in London, Roman Abramovich, who you formerly played under when you were a Chelsea player. He's, I guess, passed on stewardship of Chelsea Football Club at the moment and there has been some reaction that we've seen here. We've been covering it at Optus Sport from people calling for him to completely remove himself and that he should be, well, at least forced to sell the club due to any sort of interactions and relationship he's had with the top of the Russian government with Vladimir Putin and all the rest. It's a it's a big situation. It could be potential potentially detrimental for Chelsea Football Club and their fans. How worried should they be at the moment? And uh, you know you know the man personally. Do you think that this will be resolved? Do you think that what he's doing at the moment is kind of a PR stunt, or he has done the right thing by removing himself at least to the public eye? Oh, you know what? I have no idea. I, I, I'm completely honest with you. I'm only guessing. Um, listen, I think. The, the bottom line is the people that are going to suffer are the fans of Chelsea Football Club, right? So, yeah. and, and that's that's the disappointing thing uh, in that regard. Let's let's be also be perfectly honest. It's very minor in comparison to what's happening right now in the Ukraine. Yeah. Um, so, but in terms of the immediate effect, um, I know I know people are very quick to to assume to point fingers, and all I'm going to say is that until such time as they deem that he there's wrongdoing going on. Um, then therefore, I think we reserve judgment. I think people need to just sit back and allow the government or governments to hopefully do their job, hopefully do their job properly, which they haven't done. We all know that. We know they've, they've, they've shied away from it. But fortunately, what's actually happening out of all this, 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 this um, no good and misery that's happening, hopefully some things are being changed and going to be some good come out of it. And, and if anybody has seemed to have been in bed, to have made their money legitimately, um, then they should receive whatever punishment is, is, is directed towards them. I don't care who they are. Yeah. 
Yeah, of course. Well, we'll watch this space. As you said, I think very well said, Mark. You know, until until there is proof, until we do know what's going on, I think we will reserve judgment. And I guess to wrap that all up, you know, I, I was at the World Cup in 2018, met so many young Russian people who even just speaking to them in the last week, they, they can't fathom what's going on. And they're there on the ground in Moscow and they they don't agree with it. You know, they can't believe it. So The, the, the worrying thing about it is that, that people who have protests in, 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 in Russia all over the country and not, not only in Russia, but all over the world, let's, let's be honest, but the, the most the, the, the for me the the people with the most um with some well, certainly a lot of lot of pride and a lot of uh bravery to go out and go against the regime in 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 russia and they're being arrested in their hundreds if yeah. not thousands yeah. and i just hope that they're okay those people who are trying to stand up against a very well an incredibly evil dictator mm. Well, as we, as we said at the very start, the world changed immensely in the last seven days. Let's hope when we meet again in seven days' time, we have some happier news to talk about and we, we get to some sort of resolved issue. No, nothing's going to take away the heartache that has happened over the last week, but let's hope we can move on in peace and, and get some sort of end to this conflict. The whole world wants it and we're all praying for it. Let's, let's move on with the football chat here. Tommy, I'm going to go back to you. We mentioned Chelsea Football Club and over the weekend, Carabao Cup final. I guess that's a trophy that, that didn't get added to Chelsea's cabinet. Their their perfect record against Liverpool in cup finals was ruined. But what a nil-nil draw it is. Is that the best nil-nil draw you've ever seen? <laughs> it's definitely up there. Uh, what a game. Uh, it had everything. You know, missed chances, great saves, uh, you know, VAR drama. Uh, and then obviously the, the penalty shootout. Uh, you know, what a what a, an advertisement for, for football at, at a... At a at a great time, you know, where where we needed a, an escape, a little bit of something else to think about, and and thankfully we we can talk about what went on the, the pitch and you know all the great performances and 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 not so great performances, uh, you know. So yeah, uh, <laughs> totally totally enjoyed it, and and I can see on the rundown we got plenty of uh, points here from the game and and some interesting goalkeeping decisions, yeah. which which I love. Well. <laughs> well, I'm joined by you two, right? I'm joined by two huge goalkeepers. I couldn't not make it about the man between the sticks. Mark Schwarzer, Tommy Tuchel, putting Kepa on in the 119th minute to then go into the penalty shootout, concede 11 penalties and miss his own penalty. Do you ultimately look back at that as a mistake from the manager? No, I don't because we know that um, Kepa has been very, very, very successful in the lead-up to the final in penalty shootouts twice. He, he saved penalties in the lead-up to, to allow Chelsea to get to the final. They've talked about it in the past. I know statistically Kepa's actually a better penalty saver than, than uh, Mendy. And it, the, the stats are pretty pretty convincing as well. It's not just close. It's pretty convincing that Mendy sorry, that, that Mendy's is not as good a penalty saver. And I say that off the back of Mendy saving in the AFCON final, right? So I, I, it's like I've got an egg on my face. But statistically it is Kepa has, been, has certainly been better, right? So I knew I knew when I was going to penalties that 100% that the the substitution was going to be made. That that was going out without saying. Um, so it wasn't the wrong decision. But I would have been devastated if I was Mendy, and Mendy would have known, right? They would have been already organised. And I was in a similar situation. It nearly happened to me in the Uruguay uh, playoff game in the second leg. I was almost substituted, and I still thank Brett Emerton to this day that he got cramp. Um, so therefore, we couldn't make any more substitutions, and. And I, I don't think that was a, a statistic thing. Um, from my understanding, it was probably to do with the day before and, and final final training session um, mm -hmm. that the manager felt that that uh, that he would would do it, maybe change it if it came to a penalty shootout. So, um, 
look, it's, a, it's amazing if it works and, and Kepa comes in and makes a couple of saves. And obviously the first thing that people criticize is when it doesn't happen, it doesn't work. And mm. for it to end the way it did, I felt for Kepa because, you know, listen, he's not there to, to score a penalty, right? He's there to make saves. And, and obviously he was close and didn't wasn't able to do it. Um, and that's the way it is. And, I, and, and obviously I wanted Chelsea to win, right? But I have to say... I think both teams deserve to win it, you know? So whoever won it, won it, and they deserve to win it because the game, like like Tommy was saying there, the game was amazing. It was a great nil-nil to watch. Both goalkeepers were insane, I thought. Mm. I thought both goalkeepers had it, tremendous games. Neither of them deserved to be on the on the losing side, nor did the teams. I thought both teams were, were excellent. I thought the spectacle was amazing. It was. It really was. Packed Wembley. That double save from Mendy in the first half was just outrageous. Like, he teleported to save that one. It was unbelievable. Tommy, uh, Schwartz was involved in an incident in 2005. Have you ever been involved in an incident where you've been subbed off or subbed on around the penalty shooter or had to take a penalty yourself? No. Um, you know, I always had a, a pretty uh, decent uh, stat at, at penalties. So uh, the, the few ones I've been in, um, I, I stayed in as well. Um, and I think, yeah. you know, there, there's, there's two sides. I, I get what Schwartz is saying, uh, you know, the stats. You know, you look at, you know, you know what you know your your record and, and and what's been happening in the past but i think there's the you know the, there's the emotional there's the the feel that you have on the day and and i think that's what would count against the decision of 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 substituting kepper like like you said mendy had a, a fantastic game um and 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 then on the other side you you had kepper who had played all the games in a cup up, up until that game then not playing you know that would have been a disappointment to him and it, it sort of, you know, it, it has a psychological effect, I think, um, that has to be, you know, has to be put into this uh, decision as well. And if, if I, I know, I know it, it worked in the Super Cup because he did exactly the same against Villarreal and, and, and Kepa won the game for, for them. So, you know, again, in hindsight, everything is easy. But I, I probably wouldn't have made it if, if I was too killed with the way the game went, with how, you know, because it also... Yeah, it, it 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 also with you know Mendy having such a great game, he's in the heads of of the Liverpool players, and that's also something that you have to take into account. The the, the problem is though, they've obviously pre-organised it, right? Yeah, yeah. And so when you've told, because you could see Kepa warming up the last couple of minutes already, so and Mendy's reaction wasn't like of surprise. He they knew it was going to happen. So the I, I, I'm. Maybe Tuchel was thinking it through his head, thinking, you know what, Mendy's played unbelievably well. Do I take him off or not? Or was it just that ruthlessness and went, right, we've made the decision, that's going to happen. Statistically, this is the case and that's what we're going to do. And I think what Tommy, Tommy said there, mm. Super Cup, they did it and it worked. So why are they going to stray away from it? So that's why I think it was always going to happen. Well, I mean, as you mentioned, both goalkeepers were brilliant throughout the match. Kelleher was fantastic, I thought, and that was a big decision to, to let him play the final. As as Tommy mentioned, when, when when a goalkeeper plays every game to get a team there, often you see the manager reward them in the final, right? Because they've earned their spot there, which was quite surprising. I thought that Chelsea didn't do the same, but um, Kelleher was brilliant. Klopp came out after the game and said he's the best number two goalkeeper in the world. It got us thinking here about Optusport. It must be a very difficult position. You've both been there at some point in your career later on when you become number two goalkeeper, and I guess you know you may spend months potentially on the sideline then you you're called up to play one of the biggest games at the highest level it must be a difficult job firstly Tommy and and do you think Klopp is right there is he the best number two in the world I'll, I'll take your first question um you know I, I was in that situation in <laughs> in in um 
you know, in 2011, where I was on the bench for Stoke in, in the Premier League and uh, Tony Pulis gave me the, the FA Cup games. And um, we managed to get all the way to the final. And thankfully, he, d- he didn't change. You know, I, I got to play a final. Um, thought I thought I, I had a pretty good uh, day. Um, sadly, we lost to, to Man City. But, you know, that, that was a fantastic experience. Um, and, and again, it, it's, a, it's a different mindset. You know, yes, it's not week to week. Um, but, but again, it's, it's just important that you have those, you know, games to look forward to. Um, and, and in some cases, it's that confidence that the manager also has uh, in you to, to, to put you in um, and, and give you that, that run out. So, yeah, you know, I was, I was, it was super important uh, to me uh, going, um, you know, going into those games and having those games uh, in, in those seasons. I, I think the key to that is as well that, Pulis obviously stuck with you, right? So he's going, right, you're playing the cup games. No matter where we go, you're playing all the way. And and obviously exactly the same as what uh, um, what happened with Kelleher, right? So Jurgen Klopp's obviously said, right, you're playing. And I remember him saying, even I think it was like last week, um, basically the, the, the plays would be up in arms if Kelleher didn't play, you know? Uh, and to say what he said after the game, in contrary to, look, for Tuchel and for Kepa, in the last couple of weeks, what's well, two finals? He he's helped get his team too, and both times he's been not allowed to play, not able to play. So I really feel for him. I mean, listen, and and the the other argument is, look, Mendy has been incredible. M- Mendy's had an insane season, right? Off the back of playing Afcon and playing so well there as well, and every time he plays, he plays well. Look, he plays in the final and plays incredibly well. So. Uh, the, the only thing I would say is that that for me lines up and, and sort of sets it up that, that I don't see Kepa being there next season, whereas Keller obviously is seen as the future of, of Liverpool Football Club, whereas Kepa is obviously, from, in my opinion, if that was me, I'd be looking and going, hang on, I can't, I can't do this. I can't keep playing all these games, doing all this work, playing well, and then get to final and I don't play. You can't help but feel that might have been the last straw for him. I wouldn't be surprised to see him have another club next season. Still the most expensive goalkeeper in world football, Kepa, would you believe it? Don't think his next transfer would beat that one necessarily, but I think I still think he does have a lot to give to world football anyway. A couple burning questions from the game. We're going to keep this one brief. I know you guys, particularly the man over there in the glasses, loves to chat. We're going to keep these one. We're going to keep it nice and brief here. A couple questions from the match. Firstly, Tommy, should Keita have been sent off for attacking Chalaba's kids? <laughs> Uh, and, you know, actually, um, you know, I, I looked it through a couple of times uh, and um, the way he goes for the ball, uh, his, his leg is already there trying to, to clear it. And, uh, and he, you know, he, I know he, he sort of keeps his foot there a little bit, but for, to me, it's, it's more accidental and it, it's actually violent. So, you know, it looks bad. And, and, and as you said, uh, no more kids, uh, you know, for him. Uh, but <laughs> with that said, I, I, you know, I don't think it was a red card um, because, um, okay. you know, because he, he didn't intend to do it. Uh, and it wasn't sort of ridiculously high. He was going for the ball. So, um, but it, Which it's one? A f- <laughs> All the balls. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, so, uh, uh, yeah, no red card for me. Schwartz, do you agree with that one? Yeah, I don't think it's a red card, but it's definitely a yellow card. Yeah. He didn't even get a yellow card. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's yeah, definitely, yeah, yeah. I, I don't get that. That's what I don't understand. I mean, mm. I mean, I know the AR can't give a yellow card, can't tell him it's a yellow card. So I just don't understand how the referee didn't give a yellow. Yeah. No, I, I don't think it's a red either. Yeah, okay. 
Next next big one was the disallowed goal for Liverpool. Matip popping up at the back post. Van Dijk was deemed to have fouled in the lead-up play. There's a few questions here. One, is that a foul? I think there's there's no real question mark as to whether he was offside. He definitely was in an offside position. But do you agree that that was a foul, that he was impeding Rhys James in the play there, Schwartz? Yeah, I, I, I think so. Um, because he was in an offside position and he prevents Rhys James from getting back. Yep. Albeit even for a, for a, little, a limited time, right? So I, I said it straight away. I thought straight away it's a, it has to be a foul. Yeah, um, yeah definitely. I think, I think it was the right decision. No disagreements, Tommy? No, and I, th- and I think that the key is, you know, you can do screens or blocks in, you know, at corners, which is, you know, a lot of teams do. Um, but he, the way he uses his arm, like he grabs around mm-hmm. him. If he had just used his body, just stood in his way, fair enough. But, uh, but he's know, offside, if, right? Yeah. But he's so offside. They, yeah, so they, there's two things to it. You know, he uses his arm to grab him and, and actually impede him. Uh, so for me, it's, yeah, it's, it, it, that was okay. Yeah, if he shields from an offside position, then he's still got to be offside, right? If, 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 if that foul, so let's say Van Dyke was in an onside position. Mm-hmm. Then it's would different. That, would that be a foul? Or, or no, not a, not probably not. Foul, probably okay. not. Okay, fair enough. Yeah, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't have that big a deal with, problem with it then. No, I think it's fine. The yeah. fact he's in an offside position when he obstructs. Okay. So I don't think warrants a free kick, but it certainly warrants to be offside because he's impeding yeah. him enough. Okay. Well, there you go. That if was you know a what I mean. Decision. I, I know exactly <laughs> what you mean, Shorty. <laughs> that was a big decision. And uh, it, it took us to extra time. And then the big one for me, Romelu Lukaku, was deemed to be offside. Tommy, <laughs> we've seen the freeze frame mm. time and time again. Was he offside? Nah. nah again... Can't be right. Nah, you know, for me, you know, this, uh, you know, a finger, an arm, uh, we got to get past this. You know, these these goals should stand. You know, um, yeah. in my in my opinion, uh, you know, I, I I feel you know Lukaku with with everything he's been through, he had a, a great chance to to be the match winner, uh, and then you know you can just see the looks of uh, on his faces. Oh, you know, I've been, you know, <laughs> it's another one, another blow to my face. Uh, yeah, so for me, yeah, you know, again, surely we can find a way around these things in the rules that there has to be a bit of clear daylight between players, not not uh, is it a foot, is it a toenail, you know, it, it, that, that to me doesn't work. Schwartz, he's definitely onside, isn't he? No, 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 I, I, I think it's offside, I think it's the right thing. No, because yeah. Oh. yeah, because but the line the line was drawn from his elbow. It wasn't yeah, but that, drawn. I thought it was but, but oh, we know God. yeah, but hang on, but we know the rules are now from your sleeve, you can score oh. a goal, right? So oh. I don't think I think it's black and white. Once you have a line, it's so, onside or offside, we, and we, I think we, it's offside. We know what's coming now, Roger. Roger, that wasn't a penalty. We know what's coming. <laughs> no, no, no that, that was a penalty. How that oh, didn't happen? Okay. I don't know. I don't know how that didn't happen. No, because his arm's way, way away from his body, right? No, but but he, if I, I don't have a problem with it, I, I don't understand the, the whole arguments about. I don't think there should be any daylight because what's daylight? How much is daylight? You know what I mean? There's too much unknown. It's like people go, well, you know, how do you, do you say? Well, you should give a little bit. Well, how much do you give? Next one's a little bit more, and the next one's a little bit more. Ah, you've got to have a line somewhere. There's got to be a line. That's so, that's I don't know. so if I if I rock the old twenty years ago when you guys were playing in the prem if I rock those sleeves to play can I score my elbow can I elbow it in then well probably yeah I mean these days yeah. the way it is nah but, but you know what I'm saying like <laughs> we've got obviously the we've obviously got the technology right and come the World Cup 
um, they're using limb tracking, and then supposedly we're going to get rid of all these these debates as to whether it was onside or offside. It's just going to be done, and people are just going to go, yeah, it was offside. A bit like the goal line technology. Yeah, I don't, I don't like seeing it on an angle. I think that's the biggest thing. I think if there's some way that we can have like 360-degree cameras so that we can always see a straight line on the offside, it's hard to judge. Yeah, I know what you're saying. I know what you're saying. You know? But, but, but anyway. Yeah, as much as it pains me to say, I, I think it was the right decision. Yeah, okay. Well, I remember when we used to say benefit of the doubt to the attacking Yeah, team. but that's, that's just that's gone, the, mate. That's finished. That's that's no, gone. Yeah, that's I, finished. I like the, I'm, I'm a football romantic. I like yeah, the glory days. Yeah, yeah. I know, I know. You like Italy. I know. That's why. Filippo yeah. <laughs> 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 Inzaghi would be ruined in the modern game. Right? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Well, we'll go back to the Premier League. Let's go to the biggest story, I think, to come out of the Prem, despite all the incredible on-field action. Marcelo Bielsa leaves Leeds. And we don't have Michael Bridges here to talk about this one, but I think he's a, he's a huge character that every football fan has to have some respect for, what he's done at Leeds United. Tommy, is it a sad day for Leeds Football Club? They're, they're talking about getting rid of him, but also building a statue for him at the same time. It's a bit odd, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think it, it is a, you know, a, a sad day for, for Leeds fans. So you can sort of see you know, and hear... You know how much he's meant. I think he, he 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 gave Leeds a new identity because I think you know looking back, you know I, I remember speaking to Casper Michael. He was on loan there, and he said behind the scenes, you know it, it was just turmoil. You know you had old players talking about the old days. Uh, you know you had you had younger generation and, and younger, you know staff. You know trying to to go in a new direction. But I think he he gave. You know, uh, you know, a, a totally new identity. The, the way he built the team up. You know, six weeks of preseason. He, he took sort of on paper average players and, and and really got the best out of it. And and he did it with grace. Um, you know, with work ethic. Um, you know, commitment and and then with a with a defined strategy. You know, like how. You know, he, he saw football in a certain way, um, which was exciting for the fans, um, and obviously had success early on. So I think. You know, it, it is, you know, I spoke to Richard Bayliss and, and uh, who's an avid Leeds fan and, and obviously, you know, um, has been involved with, with Optus, you know, and he's sad, you know, and, and that says a lot after all the results they've had of late. You know, any club would, would uh, you know, kick the manager, whoever they were, out of the door. But, but uh, he's meant a lot to, to people in Leeds and, and to the community. Uh, and I think that deserves a, a lot of respect. So, 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 Tommy, was it the right decision? I think, as a, from a footballing term, it is the right decision. But I understand, um, you know, I understand the the the, the grief and and uh, because it, I think it it became and you can see it's become a lot more about you know, not just the results. It, it was a way of playing. It was an excitement that he brought, an energy that the fans fed off, uh, that the city fed off. Um, so you know, and and that's why on. On Saturday or Sunday, um, when they were playing Tottenham, you know, even a four 0 down, you know, they they were still applauding. They were still applauding him. Uh, so I think that speaks volumes that that this is a little bit bigger than just results. 
um, the, the, the feeling that he's brought to Leeds. Schwartzy, the replacement has been announced to be Jesse Marsh as our Bundesliga correspondent here. Jesse spent a, a, a brief stint with RB Leipzig. It didn't seem to be too successful seeing as though the players he had, they've actually been a lot more successful in the second half of the season. He was quite good at Salzburg. What have you made of him as firstly judging him from his Bundesliga experience, but also going into Leeds United? Is that a good fit? I felt for him first and foremost going to RB Leipzig because um, even though he's come from the whole Red Bull uh, organisation and, and had been at RB Leipzig before and as an assistant and then went to um, Red Bull Salzburg and did really, really well. Coming to RB Leipzig off the back of losing Marcel Zabitzer, Ibn Makano, um, Kunate, it was so tough to try and replace those guys. They, they brought in some really good players, right? But it still had to take time and the, the, what everyone in Germany is the general consensus is that he tried to change too much too quickly yeah. that a lot of the players were so drilled so worked the way that Nagelsmann wanted to play um, that the players found it really difficult to, to make that transition and it mm. needed more time and um, they've changed the manager obviously since then obviously Jesse Marsh was 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 released of his duty and um, They've, you know, they've they've brought in a new manager who has found the kind of in between, between the way that uh, Nagelsmann played and Jesse March was playing, mm. and therefore the players have reacted almost instantaneously and felt felt certainly a lot more comfortable with it. Well, Jesse Marsh, USA. Good to have a little bit of USA in the Premier League now. Some soccer. And the, the MLS kicked off during the week as well. And I'll tell you what, it was brilliant in the first week. But sticking with the Premier League, um, I want to talk a little bit more about Eloko Bielsa because he is nicknamed the crazy Bielsa because of, some say, his training methods. He's, he's quite... I remember the whole spying scandal in the championship. I remember a story of him when he lost 6-0 in the Copa Libertadores when he was managing in Argentina. And his fans weren't happy with it. They came to his house to protest. And he walked outside with a grenade in his hand. And basically said, if you don't let me do my thing, I'm going to blow you all up here in my front, on my front lawn. He was that crazy, right? But it was, he's just, people loved him for being that character because he was so passionate. He always speaks about how he loved football in the old times. He's not one for the media. He's not one for the glitz and glam. He loves the old school football. The craziest manager in the Premier League, according to a lot of people. Have you ever played with a crazy manager? Tom, what's the, what's the craziest thing a manager's asked you to do on the pitch or off the pitch? Because he's known for changing players' diets, for changing what they do with their nights out. Did you have any managers like that? <laughs> ah, you know, all managers are, are crazy to some extent. But like, I, 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 can, I can never get around Tony Pulis. Uh, you know, there's some of his... <laughs> so, some of his ideas, the, the tactics and, uh, you know... You know, how... You know, but that was to our, our success. You know, a little bit going back to... to Bielsa, you know, he, he gave us at Stoke um, a, an identity, you know, with, with his, uh, you, you know, his, his crazy tactics and his weird ideas, uh, you know, especially around like the throw-ins. I've never, you know, we were practicing throw-ins like three hours a week, uh, you know, <laughs> and, it, you know, it was, it, you know, at the end, uh, very relaxed shoulders were nearly coming apart because he, you know, he, he was he was strapped on more than any player just to try to keep the shoulders in place. Um, but uh, yeah, again, he, he used to take us. I think the craziest thing he used to take us pre-season. He used to take us to Austria uh, to some little town, little hotel for one week, uh, no footballs, just up at five in the morning, out running up a hill. 
then in a in the gym for a couple of hours. Then we were out biking for three hours in the afternoon, and we just went on and on and on for a week. And you know, it was a a hell week, and we just had to get through it. Um, you know, th- those were the the crazy <laughs> the crazy things that, that we had to deal with. But it gave us, you know, he 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 kept the club in the Premier League, and uh, we had some success, which you can't deny. Schwartzy, have you got anything to compete with that one? Any any funny stories? Any managers that that tried to get way too involved on the pitch or even off the pitch? Well, we know certainly where Tommy's got his love for cycling. Well, that's come from. <laughs> Thanks, got Tony Tony Pures to thank for that one. Um, I also wanted to mention as well, uh, Michael Bridges wanted to apologise for not being here. He decided to take some time away from football because he's in complete mourning of the, the of the sacking of Bielsa. Um, he was quite emotional when I spoke to him this morning. Um, <laughs> Mad managers. I've never had anyone that was openly just mad and, and crazy and lunatic sort of style. However, when I first went to Dresden, my first manager was a guy called Ziggy Held, who played for Germany in the 1974 World Cup. Uh, actually, no, sorry. And, uh, he played afterwards. He played, played in the Euro, the European Championship, and they became European Championships. And, um, or champions. So I think it was two years before, 70, 72, I think it was. Anyway, mad guy. Turned up. And firstly, he went around and he shook, everyone shook his hand when he first arrived at training. He looked at me and he had these long, long eyebrows. <laughs> didn't cut them, didn't trim them. And he looked at you like this. You know, he'd tilt your head back and just look at you through his eyebrows. And he'd say, he said to me, and who are you? Oh, I've just signed for the club, right? And he's the manager of the team and he's got no clue who I am. And I go, I'm, I'm like the second goal, reserve goalkeeper. And he went, oh. Right, I've heard someone's coming. I didn't know it was you. Anyway, that was my introduction to him. So my heart sank when I first met him. My first introduction to European football. And it was like the first two weeks we ran for an hour and a half in the mornings in the forest, three groups. He was in my group. Mate, he lapped me about three times. He's like in his 60s. And then um, uh, afternoon, we did two hours of football training. And it was just relentless for the first two weeks. Once we got past that, every day... So every Monday we did exactly the same thing. Every Tuesday we did the same thing. Every Wednesday we did the same thing. Wednesday was shooting. Two goalkeepers would go on each goal and literally the teams would break it in half and you they would just have for, for an hour and 15, hour and a half, relentless shooting on goal and there were no other than two goalkeepers. So you just basically stood in goal the whole time. And he'd come over and I would be absolutely on my knees, right? Because I was diving for stuff all the time. I was diving for everything. I got to a point where I couldn't even dive anymore. Or I'd dive and it took me three shots to get up. <laughs> and, and the thing was, I looked over and he'd be shaking his head and he'd be swearing and carrying on, right? And I'm thinking, is this guy for real? And I look over and there's the, there's the Russian national goalkeeper who is the number one, Stanislav Chichesov, who up until recently was the, the manager for Russia. He's, ju- he's only diving after every third or fourth ball. So he's like clever. He's like, ah, oh, I'm going to just dive after every third. The manager didn't say a word to him. I'm just getting absolutely slaughtered. So, yeah, he's crazy just because he didn't like me, I think. <laughs> wow. wow. So he had no say in signing you. You were just... No, no, no. He had no clue. Okay. That's how it, how it works in Germany as well, yeah. predominantly. That managers, the trainers, the trainers yeah. Yeah. don't have any say. It's the team manager who's involved in buying and selling of players. Yeah, wow. Yeah. Jeez. Yeah. So- not quite, not quite Bielsa and grenades. Well, no. we also know Bielsa, uh, you know, lasted two days at Lazio before taking the Leeds job because he walked in, he said, okay, I want a sleeping quarters because there'll be nights that I work all night. I want players to train twice a day. I want different food. And, the, and they just said, we can't do it. He walked out two days later. So you've got to respect the man that knows exactly what he wants and can't wait to see where he goes next. 
course, there are rumours, you know, he was rumoured with the Australian job once upon a time. So <laughs> let's watch this space. He's available now. I don't know. Throw the throw the checkbook at him. What are you suggesting? I am not in a position to suggest here, Schwartz. I don't know. I'm just saying let's watch this space very closely. If we do fail to make Qatar, then he would be a, a pretty good replacement, would he not? I don't know. Would his methods work, though, for the national team? You know, because I think... I'm just wondering. No, I'm just asking the question. Yeah, maybe. I, I suppose you'd have to adapt his training methods, right? Because you can't... I mean, he's known over here, certainly at Leeds, and it was quite well known that any player he signed took three or four months to adjust yeah. to the way that they trained, first mm -hmm. and foremost, and had to get to the fitness levels that he, that he demanded. So I just don't know if that would work with the national team. Yeah, well, that, that's why I'd say he's definitely not like a, like a goose hitting. You know, he's not someone that's going to come in six months before a World Cup. He's yeah. definitely someone you need to give minimum four years to, to plan towards right. something. But, but I don't know. Let's, let's, let's see. Let's watch this space. Another man under a little bit of pressure, Tommy. Thomas mm. Frank, your mate. He's, I'll tell you what, <laughs> My he, mate. Had fantastic, fantastic, <laughs> he had a fantastic impact, didn't he? But yeah. just I feel like it's been a little bit under the radar because we've all been we were so stunned and, and impressed by how good Brentford adapted to the Premier League initially that we've kind of not realised that they're one win in their last 11. They're edging ever closer to that relegation zone. You've seen Leeds now make that decision. It was a tough decision for them. Do you think Brentford will follow? I think the next two games are massive for them. Um, obviously, they got Norwich away, and uh, and then they got Burnley at home. Um, so I think that that definitely decides. I think you know a little bit like Leeds, uh, that what Thomas Frank has built there, uh, the culture and everything. You have to take that into account. Um, you know, there, there's there's you know you're looking at uh, you know sustained success. So so I'm sure. The board will will look at those things, but at some point, like at Leeds, results um, staying in the Premier League has to be first priority. Uh, and these two games, I think, are his last chance. You know, hopefully, great story with Ericsson coming back, fantastic to see that. But as you said, it's sort of been under the radar a little bit. But these two games, I think, will highlight uh, exactly where they stand and where they're going. Because if they can get results, I think they'll be clear. If not. Because they, I think they played three more games than, than Burnley. So, you know, they can't afford definitely to lose that one. And then I think they have yeah. Leicester in the game after. So, so these games coming up are crucial. Will he last all three? Um, who will know? Um, that, that's going to be interesting. Well, it's, it's funny. Sometimes, sometimes you saw it happen with Man United. Sometimes the club will decide to bring in a new manager before the easier fixtures to give you the best chance to win. And Brentford have stuck with Thomas Frank. I think that's a great decision. Let's hope he gets some points here. And it was great to see Christian Eriksen out on the park last week as well. I think that made every Danish football fan, every football fan around the world, very, very happy. Um, so we'll we'll be following Brentford very closely. And and how about Watford? Your mate Woy. Schwartzy, three clean sheets already, something that the five managers before him couldn't do at Watford. So considering how good they've been, what Weghorst has fit in at Burnley as well, I'm going to ask you guys, who's getting relegated from this point on? We love a prediction. Schwartzy, who's going down? Yeah, that, 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 is, that is like the golden question. I mean, we all, thought, we all thought Newcastle were dead and buried pretty much, right? Well, to be fair, we did say, most of us said, let's wait and see what happens in January, right? So they, put some, they did some... Pretty decent uh, business in January. I, I don't see Norwich getting out of it. Um, I, see, I, was at, I was at Watford Palace midweek, mm -hmm. and I said before the game, I felt that Watford were going to get out of it. My problem is, watching the game, commentating on the game over here, my problem was the front three at Watford. I, I felt that they lacked 
bite. They lacked hunger and fight. And that was a worrying bit for me. I thought defensively they were solid, um, as they showed at Old Trafford. The problem I found was up front, as much as, you know, they talk about um, how good Saar was, Dennis was, I thought they were both pretty average and, and disinterested. Um, I also thought Joshua King was a long way off the pace, and I don't know whether he was injured or what, but he, he looked really, really disinterested. That's the thing that worries me about about uh, Watford. However, they go, to, they go to Old Trafford, and they grind out a result. Um, uh, you still want an answer, don't you? I'd like one. Yeah. Well, Nor- <laughs> Norwich are gone, right? <sighs> Mate, I-, I-, I think it's a proper fight. Yeah. Up until up until Brentford. I mean, I, I think Brentford, unfortunately, I think Brentford are only going one way. I don't mm-hmm. see them staying up anymore. I thought they were going to be fine. And I also am worried about Everton. Oh, wow. Can you yeah. imagine? Ooh, yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. Tommy, you agree with that? Yeah. Could Everton go down? Yeah, for sure. You know, um, you know, I, th- I think you know. Again, they showed great uh, spirit and and yeah, a little bit unlucky against Man City at the weekend. But but you only get a couple of of those opportunities that can that can really kick you on. And and then it was another disappointment. And and I think you know, at some point, you know, I've been in that situation. Is you know, you, you look at your team sheet and it's like oh, we we're, we're better than the opposition. You know, you, we're better than Watford. We're better than Burnley. But it it, it still creeps in. Um, and it's a dangerous situation to be in if you start to, to get that mindset that, that we should be doing better, you know, and you don't realize the severity of the situation. So uh, I, I a little bit uh, agree with, with Swartz. I, I fear for, for Brentford. Um, you know, I think, you know, Norwich, Dean Smith, I think they're going to get a result against them this, this, this weekend. Uh, and then... You know, then what happens against Burnley? Um, you know, that's that's, the, you know, because they're trending in, in the other direction, as you said. Vekost, I think, has been a great signing for them. So, um, yeah. and and Mark's mate, Mark's mate, potentially, uh, you know, getting back at some point. You know, so, um, you know. <laughs> <laughs> for those for those who don't know who Mark's mate is, Maxwell Corner yes. is, is Mark's yes, mate. Yes, that's the mate. He's, he's well, he's not. I mean, that's <laughs> technically <laughs> not correct that he's my mate. But sir, she was your mate. Well, his agent. Yeah, I mean, he's sir, a, his agent. Though. Sir, certainly, I was pumping him up. Yeah, and and <laughs> rightly look, so. I mean, rightly he scores. So. He, he, he scored yeah. six yeah. goals right from yeah. fourteen games. Yeah. So you know, you know. So yeah, been good. I I, I think um, you know Norwich. Um, yeah. Um, and then I think again Brentford I think going to be direct in there Oof. We'll watch this space Burnley play mm. tomorrow morning that's the start of plenty of football coming to you every single day which you can catch here on Optus Sport Burnley play Leicester and if Burnley get a point Everton drop into the relegation zone so there you go uh, mm. a club that has a remarkable record of avoiding relegation could be going down this year but I think you know there's about 11, 12, 13, 14 games to go it depends who you're looking at because the table's all over the place with games played but there's a long way to go is what I'm trying to say so I'm sure it'll change a lot come May Gents, let's look forward to the action happening. Burnley play Leicester tomorrow, and, and as you mentioned, they, they've only one loss in their last seven games, and that was to Liverpool, 1-0. If they, if they draw, they will jump Everton. How far do you think Sean Dyche can go? And, and you know, that, that decision to sell Chris Wood to a rival was a massive decision. He's brought, he's brought in Weghorst, and it seems like the team is playing better, and, and he's really that target man. I want to ask you this one, Schwartz, because I know you, you were familiar with him in the Bundesliga. We spoke about him a little bit when he joined the Premier League. Do you think he's better than Chris Wood? Um, 
Look, I, I, they're very different players in terms of I, I find that Chris Wood is, is very technical, a lot quicker, a bit more robust, um, and and had played very well for, for for Burnley. Obviously has struggled a bit since he's been at Newcastle. Yeah. Um, horse big guy, really tall, uh really strong very good in the like very very good in the air so he's got a different sort of style of to his game and i think he he probably suits burnley a little bit better yeah so i think they've yeah. done a really good job uh for selling chris wood for the pri the money that they've got and also been able to bring in veghorse for what 15 million pounds which yeah. I, I i think i think that potentially could be like a master stroke for them other than maxwell corner of course <laughs> well well, let's see. They're doing very well. It looks like uh, their style of football is often criticised, but it works. Tommy, we've got the Manchester derby coming up this weekend as well. Man United up against City. And while City are having so much success and United not so much, the record is interesting. Man United have a very good record against City. In their last six games, they've won three, drawn one, lost only two. How big of a game is this for Man United? Can they beat City? And, and a question I wanted to ask you, who spent a lot of time over there in the Premier League and you know these sets of fans. Do you think United will really get up for this game because it is their cross-city rivals? Or would they rather City win the Premier League than Liverpool? <laughs> no, I, I think uh, I think they'll rather potentially have Liverpool win uh, than Man City. I, really? I, yeah, I think so. Even though there's a lot of uh, hate there. Yeah, oh, Swartz is shaking his head, but I, I think so. Sure. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, again, uh, you know, it's a derby. And as you said, the, the, there's, there has been a history of United, uh, you know, coming up Trump. But at the moment, like, w what United team is going to turn up? You know, we saw it against Atletico. They were rubbish in the first half. And then they come out and, and th that goal they scored was first class. And then, you know, you know, how they didn't score against Watford is beyond me. You know, you've got these players of that quality missing glaring chances. Uh, you know, again, every uh, it's a great game because you got United, they have to win, and then you got City, who who got Liverpool breathing down their neck, and and again had a bit of luck against Everton. Um, so they could, they can't afford they can't afford any slip up. So it, it'll be such a great game to watch, and and the atmosphere will be uh, unbelievable. Um, you know, again, I still think that City are just a little bit better as a team. So I I, I, yeah. I think they're gonna. Yeah, going to win unless unless we get some individual magic because that's what you that's that's what you're hoping for if you support United. You know, at the moment it's it's yeah. Fernandez, Ronaldo, you know, someone doing something special. Yeah, well, it's a great opportunity to do that, Schwartzy. It is a big game, and if they do win, they could put Liverpool back on equal points at the top. Of course, if Liverpool win the Premier League, they go equal on twenty Premiership titles. So you were shaking your head when Tommy was saying they'd rather. Liverpool win the league. You think that United that could potentially play in their minds here, got playing against Man City. They'd rather City win the game. No, win no, the no. League. No, they wouldn't. Yeah, they. I, I think they'd rather. Certainly, they want Man City to win ahead of Liverpool. Okay. I, I'm pretty confident that's that's the general feeling for a lot of Man United fans, um, from my experience with them. But that's not to say that they won't want to beat City now. They certainly want to beat City. That goes without saying. Yeah. They first and foremost want to beat City, and if they can't win the title, they'd rather City beat win win the title ahead of Liverpool. Yes. Yeah. Um, but I, I listen. I, I think I think City are infinitely better team than Man United. Uh, Man United, in my in my opinion, are not much of a team. A team. No. They've got some great individuals, but they're not much of a team, uh, and that's part of their issue, uh, I believe. Um, but we've seen in the past. You know, I've, I've been at, I've been at the City ground when. Uh, Etihad Stadium, sorry, when when Man City 
absolutely annihilated Man United in the first half. Were only up 2-0. They should have been up 5. And then literally, you know, the old cliche, a game of two halves. It was so contrary the the, the two halves. It was insane. And Man United came out. I mean, I remember I remember sitting there and I was talking to one of my colleagues and I said Mourinho was in charge of Man United at the time and I said I, I think he has to take Sanchez off and he has to take Paul Pogba off because they were so bad, it was embarrassing. He left them both on and they both scored and both changed the game. So how wrong was I? But they were... No, I wasn't wrong in terms of they were so poor, but yeah. I actually thought Mourinho might make a statement by doing it, but he didn't. He kept them on and they won the game 3-2, which was just ridiculous, really. Mm. Um, mm. Saying all that... I, <sighs> Listen, I still think City will be too good. I still think Man United are so far off the pace, even though it's a one-off, and you can almost throw out form out the window when these two play. Mm, I saw a funny video come out of uh, a fan getting their jersey signed by the manager, Rav Ranić, and the, uh, he said to him, are we going to sign Kunde and Haaland in the window? And he turned to him and said, you're dreaming. <laughs> <laughs> he started laughing. So <laughs> that just came out this morning. But uh, plenty of football coming up on the Premier League. Of course, Norwich-Brentford, that's a huge game for the relegation battle. Liverpool-West Ham is a very nice game too. And Tottenham-Everton as well. It's a huge game for Super Frank to try and get a result. Tommy, I'm going to go a little bit around Europe. I want to talk to you a little bit about the Italian Serie A title race because this weekend Napoli plays Milan those two teams are equal on 57 points at the top of the ladder seven points behind them sitting in fourth spot is Juventus now after a month they were near the relegation zone they've really turned it around they've signed very well in January do you think they can still win the league there well I don't think they can uh, they can win the league I think they can make a run for it for sure um, you know I think it's a great signing I, I think we were talking about you know the transfer window, and and I mentioned Vlaovic. I think I think that's been a, a game changer for them. I think he he's settled in extremely well, um, and, and yeah, they they they're looking definitely uh, ascending. Um, I still think you know Inter will get it back on track. Uh, they've had a bit of a stumble, a couple of of, of draws, and you know they uh, they're still in the driving seat. They still obviously have a game in hand, uh, and as you said, the two other teams are playing each other at the weekend um i think they, they've got the coppa italia tomorrow is it uh, uh yes, inter, yes. inter playing yeah, milan so you know that that could be you know very interesting to watch as well but yeah juventus will have a chance but they need to be perfect i think you know they need a fantastic run to to the end of the season and hope for a bit of a stumble and of course, they've still got that Champions League to, to juggle as well. Nowhere near safe against Villarreal. That's going to go down to the wire as well. Marky Schwarzer, let's go over to the German Bundesliga, shall we? Uh, Bayern Munich with a, another. They came back to form. Big win on the weekend. Dortmund slip up yet again. So my question for you is, is Bayern Leverkusen this weekend, and, and Leverkusen have been fantastic. They're in third spot. They've been playing some great football, scoring plenty of goals. But if Bayern Munich beat them this week, would you say it's title over? Very close to being titled over, um, most likely. Bayern weren't that convincing on the weekend. Um, I worked on the game, Eintracht Frankfurt against Bayern, and Eintracht Frankfurt did okay, to be fair. Um, they had a couple of big, big chances. Philip Kopstich in the first half should have scored. Massive chance for them. They had a couple of half chances in the second half. Bayern weren't the Bayern we're used to seeing. So they they splotted a little bit. Um, Thomas Muller was a big miss for them because he's got COVID. So they missed him massively. Um, Leroy Sané had to come off the bench to, to save them. 
so yeah, I'm not sure. But Bayern are Bayern, right? So Bayern can pick themselves up very easily, and and they're they're one of those teams that can can play ordinary early and still still win a game. So I still fancy them. Yeah, I fancy them to win it. Even if, even if they don't pick up maximum points against Leverkusen on the weekend, I still I still see them winning to the league. I just think they're too good. Yeah, Dortmund will be kicking themselves. They had plenty of opportunities to get back into that title race. They yeah, keep slipping up. That's Dortmund. That's Dortmund. That yeah, Dortmund, unfortunately. Yeah. yeah, yeah. For a neutral, it hurts. How did Adrian Hustich play? He played. He played well. I thought the first half was difficult for him to get really into the game. Um, there, there were some really big battles in midfield. Um, I thought. I thought. You know what he did? He did really well to smother Bayern to prevent them from getting any stranglehold in midfield without kind of without watching him and saying. You know, you didn't look at him and go, he was unbelievable, he did this, he did that. He just helped smother and break down a lot from Bayern. Um, they pressed really high. At times, uh, Arjun found himself alone as well, so it was really tough for him in that regard. I thought second half he was very, very good, and I was really surprised that, that um, they took him off. Um, yeah. he was, I thought he was one of their better players in the second half, so that, that actually surprised me. Um, but no, I, I thought I thought he um, can hold his head high. I thought he did really, really well for him, particularly the second half. I actually messaged him before the game, and he told me there was a big chance he was going to play, and said that he was he, he was hopefully as long as he got through the session uh, being fit, he was going to start. So that well, that was nice to hear because I'm going to be over, I'm going to be over in Germany um, actually this week. Won't be seeing uh, Asian then, but I'll be seeing him in a couple of weeks' time. Going back over to interview him, which will be great, and obviously we'll be on Optus Sport uh, later on. Fantastic. Looking forward to that one. Guys, let's uh, let's get to a couple quick fan questions before we wrap it up. We've got a couple coming in. First one, Tommy Sorensen for you. Alex Fernandez has written in, should Manchester United approach Marcelo Bielsa for the coming Ooh. season? Uh, uh, no, I don't think so. I, I, and I also, <laughs> and also think, you know, the, the feeling I get is with Bielsa is, you know, I think this was his last big job. I, I think, you know, he put everything into to things that leads. You know, I think he's. You know, if 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 it's something happens, it it potentially could be a, a national team or, or, or something smaller. Um, and again, I don't think it'll fit United. I think they um, they they need to 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 look more more longer term. And uh, again, look at what they have. Uh, you know, in in their squad, I think it's, it's more important for United to build a squad and than, than actually uh, you, you know getting a, a very defined, very sort of <laughs> unique tactics as, as Bielsa is going to, I don't think it will suit United. Yeah, it is It is a tough situation because as we've spoken about a lot on the show, Ralph Ranić, will he be the yeah. manager next season? doesn't sound like he will be. He'll be director of football, so who does become the manager? Good question, Alex. I don't think Bielsa will be there either, but, but I love the creativity on that one. Marky Schwartz, a question for you specifically from Noah Mort. He says, Schwartzy, do you think Australia will make the 2022 World Cup? I hope so. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> Do I think they'll make it? Oh, um, do I think they'll make it? Oh, geez. I think, I think we'll get to the playoffs. I think we'll have to be playing South America. I, I, I'm confident enough we'll get through the playoffs. Oh, but you, you, more, you are in the playoffs, um, the, more or less. Like, you, you, no, but through the through the Asian Cup. Quality, uh, yeah, we are there. Yeah, but yeah. what I'm saying is, we, we can obviously finish in top two, right? Yeah, yeah, so yeah. we can finish that if we win our last two games. I just don't see us doing it. I, mm. I, I hope I'm wrong. I hope we we qualify directly, um, and then it's the luck of the draw. I, I think we'll get through. I think we'll beat the other Asian Asian qualifier, 
in the playoff. It's then dependent on who we play, who who the opposition is in the uh, from South America. It definitely does suit us that it's a one-game playoff over in Qatar rather than having to travel there, as you experienced, Mark. But uh, but that's a great question, Noah. You've heard the man himself. It's a, someone who knows a thing or two about qualifying for World Cup. So let's watch this space closely. Hopefully the boys can do the job and we don't need to have those palpitations that we had back in 2017 when we were trying to make the last World Cup. But uh, there's a difference between Honduras and South American fifth place as well. So it will be a tough task. We'll watch it very closely, guys. And as always, all the footballing news from around the world you can catch here on Optus Sport. The special features coming out each and every day as well as new shows dropping every week. Thanks so much for joining us on the Gagan Pod, Thomas Sorensen and Mark Schwartz. Hopefully we'll have Bridgie back next week to talk all things from the world of football. It's a massive week coming up. We'll see you then. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.